When you and I were born, we received what we might call a deck of cards. One of the cards, for example, that you received at birth was your gender card. And your gender card identifies you as either male or female. You received a skills or talent, natural talents card, which indicates what skills, what natural talents you have been gifted with. Some of you got the the card of a great singing voice. Some of you did not. I'm one of those. One of the cards in our deck was a physical attributes card. That card explains why some of us have blue eyes and some of us have green eyes, some have brown eyes. It explains why some of us are tall and some of us are short. One of the cards in your deck is the race card. Now, the race card identifies you as being born in a particular race. You're born either white or black or Asian or Hispanic or some combination of the above. Now, unfortunately... The grace, the race card, the race card has come to be identified as a negative thing. Not only has it is, is it indicative of the race to which we're born, but unfortunately, it has become an expression of racial hostility. It's become a means of expressing prejudice. It's become, sadly, for some, a tool of of hatred and distrust and a means of attacking one another. You have a race card. By the way, did all did you all get your race card when you came in this morning? If you don't have one, raise your hand. We're gonna we'll make sure that you get one. You have a race card. Now you might say, No, no, no. Listen, I don't I don't mistreat or judge people based on the color of their skin. I'm not prejudiced at all. Well, that's not what I said. I didn't say you play the race card. I just merely said that you have one. Just like the rest of us. It's in your deck. And all of us have the race card. Doesn't mean you play it. Doesn't mean you even like what your race card stands for. You may abhor what the race card stands for and don't want anything to do with it. But the reality is, you have one, I have one, we all have one. There's not a racist bone in my body that I'm aware of. But I know, as a matter of fact, that sometimes my race card takes me to having thoughts that I don't need to have. Remember several years ago, I was watching the, the BCS championship football game. Alabama was playing in it that year. Seems like they're playing in it every year here lately. Alabama was playing in the championship game, and I think they were on defense at the time, and I looked out on the field, and all of a sudden, I'm watching it on television, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, 
this thought pops into my head and I find myself saying in my spirit, there is not a single white guy on the field for Alabama. And immediately when I found myself thinking that, instantaneously it was followed by my thinking, where did that come from? What, what was that about? Why was that even an important distinction? What prompted me to go there? Am I jealous that white boys didn't get enough opportunities as the black guys and therefore there's no, there's no white guys on the field? I couldn't understand it. And, and I found myself asking myself in all honesty, if the reverse were true, if I looked out on the field and all the guys were white, would I have been equally inclined to say, huh, would you look at that? There's not a single black guy on the field. It's the race car. And as subtle as it is in some of us, sometimes it plays its way into our heart and into our psyche. Now, unfortunately, it seems like the race card is being played a whole lot more and with great regularity these days. And it's, both sides are, are guilty. Blacks use the race card when they feel that whites are given preferential treatment or when they feel like they aren't getting preferential treatment and deserve it, or they use the race card when they feel like some situation is unfair. Our youngest son, Tyler, I'm not bragging, but this kid, I mean, if ever anybody had the love of Jesus in their heart and was colorblind, it's him. I mean, he just loves people, period. And they won't forget he came home one day from high school. Uh, it was February. It was Black History Month. And he says, Dad, you're not going to believe what happened to me today. I said, what? He said, well, I was standing in line, in lunch line, and these four black guys come up, shove me to the back of the line, take my place. I said, dude, what's going on? They looked at him with a sense of arrogance and said, listen, dude, this is our month. We'll do whatever we want to do. They used the race car. Whites, we use the race card when, when we feel like blacks are given preferential treatment or we want, we want preferential treatment or when we think things are being unfair. Whites will use the race card to hire a less qualified white man rather than a more qualified black person simply because of the color of their skin. Whites will use the race card to laugh at a racially insensitive joke or insult. We, we play the race card. And we're at a point in time in our nation today where the race card is being played in ways that we haven't seen in a long, long time. And everybody's on edge. Tensions are flaring. And sadly, People are dying. After a series of shootings involving police and young black men, there are thousands of people who have taken to the streets to protest what they perceive to be acts of racism on the part of the police. 
And in their anger, they rise up and they shout, Black Lives Matter. And they argue that young black men are gunned down for no other reason than being black. That's what they claim. Others, not to be outdone, shout back, All Lives Matter. Blue Lives Matter. And and they shout, Not every incident of a police shooting can't be labeled racially motivated. That's just not the reality. And everybody's playing the race card. And the more it's played, the more violence we have, the more unrest we have, the more distrust we have, the more prejudice we have, the more unsettled we are. Recent poll taken in the last uh, couple of weeks said that 74% of Americans, and this is across racial lines, 74% of Americans today describe race relations in our country as bad. So what do we do? What do we do? You know, tension between races is not new to us. It's been happening since the beginning of time. It happened in Jesus' day. And one day Jesus, I think, motivated by a desire to to squelch some of the racial animosity and hatred that was going on in his community, he told us a parable that we come to know the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I think he told it for them, but he was hoping and praying that a couple thousand years later we'd pick it up and we'd read it and we'd understand it too. Let me kind of set the stage for you. You know the story, but just to remind you. Jews hated Samaritans. I mean, if there was a racial tension of that day, that was it. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. Jews told racial jokes about Samaritans. Samaritans drew caricatures of Jews. Jews, Jewish parents didn't want their kids going to school with Samaritans' kids. Samaritan parents didn't want their kids going to school with Jewish kids. Jewish people felt that Samaritans needed to ride on the back of the bus. Samaritans thought that Jews needed to ride on the back of the bus. You get the idea? Sound familiar? And so in that environment, Jesus tells this story. Guy's making his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, he's attacked by a band of robbers. They beat him up. They leave him there for dead. A priest comes by. You'd expect the priest to have compassion. The priest comes by, assesses the situation. I guess he's late for a meeting. He don't want to be bothered, so he goes on his way and doesn't do a thing to help the guy. Levite comes by, and that was a a, a member of a Jewish sect of that day. Here again, you would have expected that he would have shown some compassion and kindness. He assesses the situation, keeps on walking. And then the story goes, says that a Samaritan came by. Now, immediately when we hear about the Samaritan, we just know he's got to be, he's going to be the villain of this story. I mean, he's going to be the one that's going to play the race card if anybody does. And, you know, we can see him looking at this guy and saying, stupid Jew, you should have known better than to be traveling these parts. I wish I'd been here. If I'd been here, I'd have been part of the beating too. I'd, he got what he deserved. That's what, kind of what we'd expect. But the Samaritan does something completely different. He shows compassion for the guy. He, he, he picks him up. He takes him into town. 
He gets him set up in the local inn, tells the innkeeper to do whatever you have to do to take care of him, and I'll come back and I'll pay you whatever else I owe. He showed love and compassion. Now, here's a person, the Samaritan. He had every opportunity. He was the most likely to play the race card, but he chose something else. He chose to play a different card. And, and, and this is the important part of the story. This is the part of the story that I think Jesus, if he were standing here today, would say, take this part of the story home because this is what I want to, this is your takeaway. He decided to play a different card. Instead of playing the race card, he puts all that racial stuff aside. And he relates to this guy in compassion and love and kindness and decides to view him not as some enemy, not as some member of that other racial group, but he decides to see in this person a fellow human being who's in need and he decides to care about. Instead of being motivated by race, he decides to be motivated by grace. Now here's a thought. Here's a thought. What if you took that race card that you have and decided to turn it into something positive and beautiful and productive? What if you started looking at people and circumstances not through the lens of race, but through the lens of grace. What if, instead of seeing situations as opportunity to flex your race, what if instead you saw those as opportunities to demonstrate grace? What if you and I take our race card and we take a marker And we take the letter G, which reminds us of the presence of God and God's love and God's strength and God's presence. We take a marker and we put a G in front of the word race. You see what that does? It's no longer a race card. It's become our grace card. As a matter of fact, sometime right now or later today, if you don't have a black marker... I hope you'll take your black marker, put a G representative of God's presence, and put it in front of that race word so that it becomes your grace card. What is grace? Grace is the love of God imparted in our lives, transforming our hearts. It is the love of God put in our hearts so that it can flow from us into the lives of others. Can you imagine how different our world would be if instead of playing the race card, we decided to play the grace card. Here's what I hope for you this morning. I hope that in in the days and weeks to come, every time you find yourself tempted to accommodate the racial, uh, racial attitude or racial animosity, instead of playing the race card, you'll put that card at the bottom of your deck and you'll play your grace card. And you'll ask, what does grace require me to do in this situation? How is playing the, the grace card going to make a difference? in this situation. The next time you're tempted to look at a person of color in a disparaging way because of their, their race, why don't you decide 
instead of playing the race card, to play the grace card and say, God, what is it that you're trying to tell me, to communicate to me, to do for or with this person? How can I love them? How can I encourage them? You see, the race card looks at color. The grace card is blind to color. The race card seeks to inflame racial tensions and animosities. The grace card diffuses racial tension and animosities. The race card says, I'm better than you because of the color of my skin. The grace card says, listen, we're all brothers and sisters together, children of God. The race card feeds resentment and hostilities. The grace card dissolves resentment and hostilities. The race card encourages us to be suspicious of one another. The grace card enables us to be supportive of one another. The race card sends us into the streets shouting at one another. The grace card enables us to sit down and listen to one another. The race card keeps us from knowing one another and understanding one another. The grace card makes relationships with one another more likely. I'm convinced that at the core of the racial tension that we're experiencing in our country today is this. We simply do not know one another. We don't understand one another. I have to come to the reality that as a white man, I can't understand the black man's experience in America. I can try, but I really can't resonate completely and understand uh, all the nuances of the sense of prejudice and oppression that that, that he's felt or that he's felt in times past. I can't, I can never completely understand that because I'm not a black man. But what I do know is this, that I will probably be able to understand his experience a whole lot better if I took the time to talk with him and get to know him and have a friendship with him and see him not as a member of some other racial group but as a fellow human being who shares the same hurts and struggles that I do and to know him personally. That's what the grace card makes more likely to happen. It enables us to listen to one another, to get to know one another, to better understand one another across racial divides. A study recently said that 65% of blacks in America say they don't have a single white friend. 75% of white Americans say that they do not have a single black friend. Now that statistic is not surprising. But how in the world are we expected to get along and love one another and understand one another if that's the case? You know what I wish? I wish sometimes that we could be more like children. Jesus demonstrated great wisdom and insight when he talked about how 
We must become like children in order to inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus calls us not to be childish, but to be childlike. You know what I, you know what I wish? I wish we could be more like children. Think about this. What if you took a, what's going to happen if you took a black toddler and a white toddler and an Asian toddler and a Hispanic toddler and you put them on a playground together? What's going to happen? They're going to play. They're going to have a good time. They're going to hug. They're going to laugh. They won't realize that they look different. They won't think that they are supposed to be afraid of one another. They haven't yet been taught to think that one is better than the other. They just enjoy being together. What a concept. This past week, the Republicans gathered in Cleveland for their convention, and there was a lot of talk about racial reconciliation and the need for healing. This week, the Democrats will meet in Philadelphia, and there will be lots of talk about racial reconciliation and the need for healing. But the bottom line is, Republicans cannot erase the stain of racial, racial hatred and animosity in this country. Democrats cannot solve the problem of racial unrest and distrust. Only the power of God's grace imparted in the lives of people like you and me, the grace that enables us to reach out and love and embrace, and show compassion and kindness, only the grace of God has the capacity to bring about the healing that needs to take place in the racial divide. The grace of God flowing in us, from us, to others. I want to share with you an illustration that I came across the other day. This is... uh, shared by Brenda McNeil. She tells the story of a diverse group of Christians who recently traveled across the the United States visiting some of the places known for their past, uh, for their racist past. She says, One of the stops on the trip is a museum with a collection of graphic photographs documenting the horrific lynchings of black people in America. Looking at photo after photo of young black men hanging from trees or mothers hanging with their children with white people often looking on in celebration was intensely disturbing for the group. Most of the members couldn't speak. They got back on the bus in complete silence. There was a palpable tension. Finally, the white members broke the silence. Understandably, they were eager to defend themselves and put some distance between themselves 
and the immense brutality of what they had just witnessed. After all, they hadn't committed these terrible crimes. It was all such a long time ago. Then a black student stood up in obvious pain and yet still calm, collected and quiet, and announced her conviction that all white people are evil. Shouting and disagreement erupted. And it was unclear how the group would be able to move forward from this experience. Finally, a white female student stood up and said, I don't know what to do with what I just saw. I can't fix your pain, and I can't take it away. But I can see it. And I will work the rest of my life to fight for you and for your children so they won't experience that. She started to weep. And her mascara streaked down her cheeks, leaving dark trails. The bus was silent. And then one of the group leaders said aloud, She's crying black tears. She was indeed crying black tears. The black students on that bus now felt that someone identified with their pain and the experience of their people And it was a profound moment of identification for all of them. Now we might be saying, yes, but Stuart, those things, those took place long, long time ago. We ought not keep bringing that kind of stuff up. I get that. But in the scale of human history, If every century of time were a single day, those events depicted in those photographs would have taken place probably about 10 minutes ago. It's still fresh. As a white person, I can't understand the feelings of a black person today unless I'm willing to try to understand the experience of black persons yesterday. Therefore, it is incumbent upon me to use today to lay my race card aside and instead play my grace card, which always calls me to discern how and when and where I can serve God's purpose and be an agent of His grace in His healing.
I hope that you'll take your race card. I hope you won't leave it like it is. I don't want to be out at a restaurant in noon and somewhere next week and say, look what my pastor at First Methodist Church gave me. He gave me a race card and told me to use it anytime I want. No, no, no. It's up to you to turn it into something powerful. It's up to you to turn it into a grace card. I would encourage you to put this in your wallet, put it in your purse, whatever the case may be, and from time to time, whenever you find yourself where it would be so easy to play the race card, decide instead to play the grace card. and Therefore, be about the business that you as a believer of Jesus Christ are called to be about. Bringing healing and wholeness and reconciliation and God's grace into any and every relationship and experience that you have. Let's pray together. Well, God, so often the, um, the racial animosities and tensions, they seem maybe far away or safely removed from us because perhaps they're on a TV screen. They aren't on our streets or in our community in a way that we've personally experienced. But God, we know that while there may not have been protests or riots in the streets of Noonan. The race card is played every day. Sometimes we're guilty of playing it ourselves. Well, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit and your, your spirit of grace and love and compassion will so filter through our hearts and change us to the point that we become walking and breathing agents of your grace. And it's clear to all who know us and observe us that our agenda is simple. To help bring about the world that Christ died for. A world of love and understanding and forgiveness and peace. Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray for those in our midst who, whose hearts are filled with anger and rage over racism perceived, real or not real. We pray, O oh God, for the police officers in our community and around the country who unselfishly every day put on the uniform, and go into harm's way to defend us and to protect us. May they know of our loyalty and our devotion. Lord, we pray that the lives that have been lost will not be lost in vain, but hopefully there are calls for us to step back, to listen, begin caring more for one another 
and striving to be the people of God that you call us to be. In the name and spirit of Christ, we pray. Amen.